0: an incredible uh, week this last week to be able to be a part of of something like this and and I had a really unique opportunity uh, this this last year for Vacation Bible School in that I really (laughs) excuse me I got to take a, a uh, behind the stage behind the scenes role in, uh, in, in everything that was going on. I got to run media, so I got to, I got to play around with all those pictures this week and and that was a, it was a blast to be able to serve uh, the uh, the vacation Bible school this week and and uh, Carl and Jen great job in organizing it and that I, I didn't hear like any kid that didn't have fun this last week, so I mean that definitely was. That was definitely at a, a very, very high level here uh, for that, and uh, we had a great great week to be able to uh, to serve together and and it's It's entirely possible that, that some of you are here today because your kids were in that. And, uh, and you wanted to come and see your kids, and that's awesome, and we are so glad you're here. Uh, this morning is a great place to, to jump into the middle of everything that's, that's going on here right now in the life of the Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, and here's why. Usually this would be a kind of an awkward place to, uh, to come into the middle of, of something. Uh, Bailey mentioned earlier that we are in the middle of our, our We Fit series where we have been talking about finding your fit within the church um, and, uh, and usually it'd be, it'd be kind of an awkward place to jump in, but this message here today specifically, this is one that wherever you find yourself in, in a place of, of life and faith and, and your understanding of those things, this is, there's something, there's gonna be something for everybody in here today. And so I'm so glad that you're all here. So whether you've missed some for the summer, the summertime, or you're here because of vacation Bible school or whatever the reason is, we're glad you're here. I am, I, and I hope that today, I hope that your curiosity is sparked From what we talk about, that you go online and you go to ecwesleyan.net and you click the listen online tab and you listen to all of the messages that built up to this one because all of them go together. And at the end of all of this, you are going to get a picture of what it looks like to be the church, not just to go to church, not just to go to a building, but what it means to be the church, according to the one who set it in motion. And so, uh, so I would encourage you, uh, take some time also uh, to, to talk with your family and your friends uh, about this, because this, it's so important, it's so key, that, uh, that, we have, that what happens in this place is more than just an hour a week, that we actually do something with the things that we hear, and that it informs everything that we do. And we say, so in this series, we have been talking, uh, like I said, we've been talking about the church. We've been talking about what it, what it looks like to be the church and what it, what it means to, uh, to be this thing, this entity that, that Jesus created. And, and in the midst of our world right now, you, there's all sorts of things that are changing. Change is like one of those things that you can just count on it happening. It is going to happen. Life change will happen. Financial things will shift. Health things will shift. Life changes. And sometimes we can feel like a bit of a misfit in our own lives when those things that we've put our identity in or those things that we've put our our stock in fall apart. The good news is that for over 2,000 years, the church has been the home of the misfit. If you read the Bible at all, even any small chunk of the Bible, you will see every single person that is in there that God chooses to use are people who are not good enough, they are not smart enough, and doggone it, people don't like them. There they are, they are, they are all, sorts of, all sorts of people, all sorts of messes that people come from. They're misfits, and yet God still chooses to, to use these people and transforms them in a powerful way. And I know that, is, that has been the hope and that has been the, the purpose of the church for over 2,000 years, We're a place where we find our fit and where we find the greatest invitation that we will ever get in our lives to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Here is the tricky part to this though. The tricky part is that when we get this invitation, oftentimes we like it, we like the invitation on our own terms. It's it's kind of like, you know, if you were ever to get an invitation to a party and you decide, oh, you know what, I'm just going to show up half an hour beforehand um, because I want to show up half an hour beforehand. That's kind of what I do because to be, to be late or to be on time is to be late and to be late is unacceptable. And to be early is to be on time, something like that. I heard that one somewhere and yet I'm still late for places all the time. But, uh, but anyway, the, we, find ourselves, we find ourselves in this place where we kind of make up rules. And, and maybe some of you have been impacted by some of those things that people have brought to the table when it comes to God and when it comes to the church. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's kind of like, like we have house rules. They're, they're like the rules to the game that nobody else knows except the people within the house. It's kind of like playing a game of Uno. You never play the same game of Uno twice because everybody brings their own rules to the table for the game. But the, the problem is, and the, and, the, and the fortunate thing for us, is that we don't get to play the game that way. And I say that it's fortunate because usually the things that God calls us out of or the things that he takes us from are usually the things that we really need to be pulled away from anyway. And so, and so we find this situation in, uh, in, in the Bible where there's this man named Simon Peter and, and, and Simon Peter uh, makes the statement that is so foundational and is so good for us to remember any time that we approach anything like this. And that, is, and that statement is this. In, asking, in, in being asked the question of, 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 do you wanna leave? Do you wanna go away from me? Jesus asked him, And and Simon Peter answered, where else will we go? We're ruined, Jesus. Only you have words of eternal life. Only you are the one that possesses words that can impact on an eternal scale. Now, I know that I could say some things and I could influence on like a, a lower level here, but I don't have words of eternal life. Only Jesus does. And if he is the one that has the words of eternal life, then ultimately everything that we do as the church, the thing that He has called into existence and the thing that He has called us to follow Him in, everything that we do should fall in line with His words, not ours, not our rules, not our house rules, not our opinions, not our preferences, only the words of Jesus. And, and in order for us to understand, like, the, the boundaries here, and I, I, kind of, I kind of look at, at a picture of the church kind of like a puzzle. Like, we all find our fit somewhere within this picture. But there are boundaries. Now, if you're like me, you don't like boundaries. I was always the kid that colored outside of the lines. I always made the, the picture in the coloring book look like it was something different than it was supposed to be. I once, drew a, a, I once colored a picture of a rabbit and drew a DJ table in front of him like he was kind of mixing some fat beats or something like that while he was out in his field with his carrot and stuff. But we like to, we like to color outside of the lines. We like, we like to, to, to do that, but, but there are parameters in which we have to operate under. And these are parameters that Jesus set. And while this may sound like the most restrictive thing ever, I guarantee you when you understand the boundaries that God has called us to, they are the most amazingly and spaciously freeing things. And we talked about one of those boundaries last week. And, that, and this is kind of the foundation of everything that we're gonna, gonna say here today. Because you have to understand, everything has to be built on this. The first thing is, is a command. And that is that in order, to, in order to be the church and to find a place where we fit, we gotta love God. Now that didn't sound too difficult, did it? I mean, in order to love God, you have to know who he is. And when you know who he is, there are some things that kind of pour out of that. I was, I was talking to a good friend uh, this last week, and we were talking about this, this concept here. And, uh, and, and, you know, of course, you know I, I like to play music a little bit, Um, but I started playing music at 16. I picked up a bass guitar. It was my very first instrument. And uh, my dad was a bass player and he taught me a a couple of things. But there's a man, his name is Victor Wooten. And Victor Wooten is a phenomenal bass player. I mean, what that guy can do with four strings is just, it's ethereal, like it is so good. And I was having this conversation with my friend and I said, you know, if, if one day, if Victor Wooten were to come to me and he were to say, Damien, I want you to follow me and I want you to do the things that I do, you better better believe I'm gonna follow that. It's the chance of a lifetime. I wanna get to know this guy because I wanna get to know how he does what he does. And ultimately, that is gonna impact what then I do. But it'd be kind of it be kind of ridiculous though if I went into that relationship and said, you know, now nah, Victor, you know what? I'm gonna just gonna watch you play and I'm just gonna sit back and I'm gonna enjoy this because it's so good. It's so good. You just you you lay that you lay that baseline down and I will just I'll just soak it in here, man. I'll just soak it in. But the problem is that we actually have to do something with our understanding when we get to know who God is. It's huge. He's awesome, and there's a call to response that our lives show as we love him with everything that we are and everything that we do. Do you have all of that? I mean, I realize I gave you like 30 sermons in like the last five minutes, but this is kind of the foundation. This is where we're going here, so strap yourselves in. We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna dive into this, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at your word. God, would you take the words that I'm about to say, would you use them? Because only you have words of eternal life. Only you are the one who can help us find out where we fit. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So in our conversation last week, in this conversation about loving God, there was a second command that Jesus gave within that passage. The first was love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. And then the second, he said the second command, then the second greatest command is just like it. It's love your neighbor as yourself. This is such an extraordinary command because your neighbors Geographically, are some of the closest people to you. They're the people who see you on a day-to-day basis. They're probably the people who see you. They probably see some of the sides of you that maybe you'd rather not, like other people see. Um, but but by being in that close proximity with uh, with other with other people, it, it's really it's really kind of a telling thing. Your your level of ability to one another in this, in this place to love one another and to bear with one another and live at peace with one another. Yet your ability to do that is, is or your, your level at which you do that, it really is reflective of your love for God and how much that's informing everything that you do. Because remember, love for God is foundational. Everything Everything has to be built on this foundation. I think this might be why some people choose to live out in the countryside. They know, <laughs> hey I grew up in the country, I can say that. But uh, whatever your geographic proximity is though to other people, no matter, uh, no matter what that is, uh, there, there's this moment that Jesus continues this conversation uh, about uh, about loving God and loving people. And uh, and it actually happens in the book of Luke chapter 10. And we're gonna go here and uh, we're gonna read and starting in verse 25. Now, if you have been around the church for even like 10 minutes, you've probably heard this story before. If you haven't heard story this story before, you've heard um, uh, a reference to this. Uh, this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, this is something that's so, this story is so popular that it is kind of engraved in our our cultural vocabulary is describing somebody who does a a good deed. But we're gonna dive into this story here um, because there is so much that's going on here. But we're, we're in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor really in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. I accidentally said Roberts in first service. I hope I didn't offend any Bobs in the place, but, but a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him and his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the, other, to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured, oil and, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and then I, when, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go. Go and do likewise. There is a lot that's going on in this story. This story is is one and I love how brilliant Jesus is because Jesus takes in this story and he makes the guy who should have been the villain in the story, he makes him the hero, the Samaritan, is the here of the story? We don't talk about the good priest, or we don't talk about the good Levite. We tell jokes about them in a boat or a bar or something like that, um, but but we don't we don't tell stories ab- about those guys. We talk about the good Samaritan, and 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 in this time and, and, and day, there's this there's this incredible racial tension between the Israelites and the Samaritans. There were arguments about about places of worship. There was there was this there was there was this mindset. Uh, among among the Israelites, the the Samaritans were just these filthy half-breeds and they would go out of their way to make each other's lives miserable. So much so, and this is so apparent in this story because the expert, the teacher in the law, when, when Jesus asks him who was the neighbor to the man caught in the road, he can't even say the guy's name. He can't even say the descriptor. He can't even say, he can't even get out the Samaritan. He gets out the... The one who showed him compassion. And there's, so there's this, there are these layers that are in here to this. And at this moment, and in this moment where Jesus is, is having this discussion about these two greatest commands, if, if the foundation of the church is a love for God, then the roof is, is a, a love for people. We have to have that thing up high, we've got to have a lot of it, and uh, and in this in this story, this is uh, this in this story in which in which Jesus, who is the one who has words of eternal life, he draws a definition out of what love truly is. Because let's be honest, if we were to go around the room here and I were to ask you, if I were to ask each of you to give me a definition of love, we would have like twenty-seven different definitions in this room of of what love is. There are assumptions that we bring to the table. There are things that we bring into the conversation. We, we kind of, we sometimes look at love as, as kind of the ultimate acceptance or, or the cherishing of all things without any qualification. We, we often see love as like the Disneyland dad who, who just showers us with whatever we want and always gives us our way. Or maybe we take the Boston approach and, and love is more than a feeling. Or, or, or we take the other end of the spectrum and ask the, the Tina Turner question Question of what's love got to do got to do with it? I I promise I'm done. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. But I know I said that last time. But but Jesus but Jesus defines what love looks like and what it looks like to to love your neighbor in this passage when he's asked the question of who is my neighbor? The the expert he's trying to find a loophole. He's trying to find a way around. But Jesus. He so masterfully turns the question around not to who is my neighbor, but who do you hate? That's the person you gotta love. And then he takes it a couple of steps further. You see, in this, in this story that he tells, we see a man who is on a, a journey from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, two cities, two hubs of, of commerce. This is about a 15 and a half mile journey through desert and mountain terrain. I had the opportunity a couple of years back to, uh, to be able to actually see this road. And there was one thing that was like really, really, really clear to me. I mean, it was astounding. It was absolutely breathtaking to, to be able to see this road. But there was one thing that was really, really clear if you were a thief, you would have incredible job security on this road. There are caves and there are turns and, and you could easily pick off somebody on this road. And, and, so, and, and so from the way Jesus tells this story, the, the man that, that's traveling in the story, he's traveling alone. Now, if you were, it's one thing to take a walk. It's another thing to take a long journey like this, especially on a road like that, and especially alone. If you were traveling, if you had to travel from one place to the next, chances are you would join a group of people. There's strength in numbers. So you'd take up a caravan and you'd travel together. Usually there was some, some guard that walked with the caravan as well. So you would be well protected. But this man, we see was traveling alone, and it was too easy for him to become prey. And this is where we get the first piece of of the roof here. This is the first piece of the puzzle, and this is this. Love does not allow others, including ourselves, to travel alone. Love does not travel alone. The, The Christian experience is not a solo journey. This is a cooperative thing. This is a thing that we need each other. I gotta be honest with you guys, the moments in my, in my relationship with Jesus that have been the most difficult moments and the times where Satan has hijacked me so much are the times that I've tried to do this alone. When I've tried to do things by myself, guess what? It doesn't matter how long you've been working, you, you've been working towards this. It doesn't matter how much time that you've spent in the church. It doesn't matter how strong your relationship with Jesus is. you need community, and you need people. You need connection, and I need connection, because this whole thing was not meant to be done alone. You know, I can't tell you the value of being surrounded by people. There are people in this very room today that I would not be standing here today doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for them. And I'm very, very thankful for them. We need each other. And there's a beauty in that. And I'm not just talking about connecting with people who you are in the same like, life stage as or that you have like, everything in common with. I can't tell you how invaluable it is to surround yourself with people who think differently than you do and who have different skills and abilities, who, who have different life experiences. If, if you're older, like I really want to, I really want to encourage you, adopt a college student, adopt, adopt a young family, or or a, a young single person. I I, I got to tell you, there's nothing there's nothing like taking that investment and in, in putting it into another person. That that person needs you. Those people need you. If if you're a if you're a family, if you're a family with kids, take some other people under your wing. Take, take, some, uh, take a, a young married couple under your wing, because chances are there are some things and there are some life situations that they haven't walked through yet, and that you've had those big fights, and you've had those big disagreements, and you can walk through those things together. If you're single, or if you're, if you, uh, if you're married without kids, there's something that's so invaluable, I, and I can tell you this from personal experience there's something that's so valuable about having kids with friends sometimes it reminds you why you don't have kids i'm just kidding i'm just kidding um but no it it, there's something that's so valuable about having those connections because it it, again there's that mutual encouragement that happens when you walk together and it's within these relationships the needs are met this is a very very biblical thing if you were to read about the early church in Acts, there, there's this mutual giving and helping of, of one another because th- they just knew each other's needs. And it wasn't even a question. It wasn't like a, hey, can I do anything for you over here? It was like, hey, I see you have this need and I've got this field and I'm gonna sell it and I'm gonna give these resources to you because I know that it's gonna help you. And there's this thing that's going on that just, it's this back and forth and they're meeting together and they're sharing meals together and they're praying together and they're they're, they're listening to each other's needs and they're, and they're growing together and they're understanding of who Jesus is and what they've called them to. But it only happened because they traveled together. They could only serve one another because they knew the needs. Love doesn't travel alone. The next piece that Jesus gives us in this passage is that, that loving others is messy. Loving others is messy, and it requires compassion. There are two characters in the story that should have been the heroes. In, in just about every other uh, Hebrew story that would have been told to, to illustrate a point, the, the priest or the Levite would have been the hero within, this, within these stories because they would have been the representatives of God. And yet, in this story, the, the one who shouldn't have been the hero ends up being the hero. Because here's the thing. In the, the, some of the responsibilities of the priests and the Levites, they all involved worship. And there were these, there were these regulations and there were these uh, rituals and orders of things. And, uh, and their lives revolved around leading other people. And if they would have stopped, they would have disrupted the worship of the people they were serving. If the priest and the Levite had stopped to help this man, they would have been rendered useless for their job. There were these orders about ceremonial cleanliness and you couldn't touch anything that was was bloody or dead. It would negate your ability to serve. And so if they would have stopped, they would have ruined their entire synagogues Opportunity to worship until they could be purified let's also remember that this is a dangerous road and if they had stopped to help and they didn't keep up with whatever caravan they were traveling with they could have been jumped as well and the robbers would have been able to double their money that day I'm gonna make a bold statement here and I'm going to make this statement not because I'm trying to ruffle any feathers not because I'm trying to upset anybody but simply because I see this in Jesus And I want to be like him because he has the words of eternal life. I got to tell you this morning that if there was a situation that happened before the services today that enabled me to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus instead of coming in here and delivering a message, I'm sorry. You would have been without a message for today. The compassion of Jesus Christ always wins out every time. Compassion Trumps order and propriety every single time. And you see this in Jesus time and time again where he steps into things where everybody else is like, Whoa, why would your teacher go there? Why would Jesus do that? Because he loved people and he was compassionate for people and it was messy. And you know, there were were times that he helped people out that couldn't help themselves, that they were in messes that they got themselves into and he stepped into it anyway. And there were burdens that other people had that he helped carry, but he stepped into it anyway. There were people that would use him and yet he stepped into his anyway. Love always takes us from the dangerous road. Love always takes us from the dangerous road where it would be insane to put yourself in that position. Love is always messy and it demands our compassion because it is the same mess that Jesus stepped into for me and is the same compassion that he had for me. And finally, love will cost you the Samaritan got off of his own donkey, used his own physical resources, paid his own money to fund this man's recovery. He had no vested interest, no relationship with this man who was left for dead. And it wasn't that he just paid enough to assuage his guilt. He didn't just do enough to try to get things by, but he, he even leaned on a relationship that he had with this innkeeper. You couldn't ask that type of question. You're like, hey, take care of this guy and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay you back. But he leaned on that relationship too. It cost him. It cost him deeply. But costly love always makes investment in people. It invests not for monetary gain. It invests not for, what, for later payout but it, it invests in order to continue to build in a generosity that the church is supposed to have. Did, did you know that um, generosity is actually something that Jesus talks a lot about and, in, and not just in the sense of like money, but like he talks about forgiveness and he says the measure that we use, the generosity that we forgive others with is the same generosity that he uses for us. Did you know that you, you can't outgive God that that he will always he will always provide for our every needs did you know that that the that, uh, that the level in which that god entrusts you with things is a level that you're generous with them and and i'm not saying this stuff to say like you know hey this is a formula for how you like get rich quick you know or anything like that you know that's that's has absolutely zero to do with this but what i am saying is that as we are generous with ourselves we show love to other people, and yes, it will cost. In the case of the Samaritan, he saw a wounded man and he did something about it. You know, you don't really have to look far. If you walk out of this building and you walk back to your, you go back to your home and you look around, chances are you will see a need. If you go out to eat today, I guarantee you one of the wait staff they're going through something that they're in need. I guarantee you you will walk into you will walk into just about every situation in your job place, maybe even in your own home where there are people who need richness and forgiveness and they need richness and love, but it will cost you in order to give that. Because a love for people is more than just something catchy that we say. It's more than just something that's a part of, of our purpose as, as, as the church. It's, 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 it doesn't travel alone. It's, it's messy and it requires compassion. It will always cost you but love above all else. It does all of these things because love will always look like Jesus. Love's look, love looks like God stepping into his created world to fix a mess that he didn't create. Love looks like stepping into our individual situations and walking alongside of us. Love looked like laying his life down on a cross, paying a price for a debt that we could never repay. Because love doesn't travel alone. Jesus himself traveled with us. Love is messy and requires compassion. Jesus showed great compassion to us in stepping into our messes. And love will always cost you. It costs God his son. But he is willing to pay that because he loves us so ridiculously much. And he calls us to love one another. There's this moment where Jesus was hanging out with uh, with his closest friends. It's the last meal that he would share with them, and and as the church, we we kind of have taken on this as a, as a, a thing that we do. Uh, we call it communion. But he had this meal with his with his closest friends, and he, and while he was sharing this meal with them, he said he said I have a new command that I'm going to give you. Are you ready for this? A new command: love one another. It's not new. He'd been talking about it all this time. But it is so key. It is so key to the continued growth of what was next and what would come next. And we're gonna share in this together. We're gonna share in this act together remembering the great love that Jesus has for us. At the Wesleyan Church here, we uh, we serve an open communion. And what that means is that you don't have to be a member of the church or a regular attender to participate with us. We just simply ask that uh, you are walking in harmony with other people and that you have a a good relationship with Jesus. And so as we prepare ourselves for that, I'd ask as you get the elements to hold on to them and we'll take them together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for showing us what, what love is. We only know what love is, because you loved us first, and it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And so, God, as we hold on to these things together, and we 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 think about the greatness of your love for us and your sacrifice for us, God, I ask that you would cause us to not only to be thankful but to to love deeply and richly the people that are around us that you have allowed us to be in relationship with. God, we, we give you praise for who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, would you come forward in that room with his closest friends, Jesus. He takes something that was already on the table. He takes the bread and he breaks it He says this is representative this is my body that will be broken for you and when you take this and you eat this together remember remember I love you so much I'm willing to be broken for you let's take and eat this together And then he took the cup. He said, This, kind of like the bread, it also represents something. It represents the the blood that's going to be spilled, mine. This is payment for debt, it's the only thing that'll wipe sin away. love you so much, I want to pay this for you. And every time you do this, every time that you meet together and you share in this cup together, remember me. Let's take a drink together. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes? And We're going to close out in song here, but let's also say a word of prayer together. God, thank you. Thank you for the richness of the the love that you have for each and every one of us. We know what it means to love one another because you loved us first. And so God, I I pray that, um, that we would be generous with our love and our care for each other and for the people that we encounter God you loved us first Would you be honored Would you be honored in the way that we uh, in the way that we live and the way that we love one another Because you loved us first so we love you We pray these things in Jesus name Amen